We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often an hour's. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back to back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code datable and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, Yue Xu, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating where we get intimate with each other and get to the bottom of, get to the bottom, see that is pretty intimate, we get to the bottom of why people do the things that they do. I'm feeling extra sexy today because I'm in this new mic setup and if you can watch this on our YouTube, it's so phallic, I mean the Blue Yeti mics are just ginormous penises and whenever someone else sees it, we make fun of them but now I'm using mine. It's a big white penis in front of my face. It like literally covers my whole mouth. It really is. <laughs> and the, every time I look at it, I'm like, how do you fit that? <laughs> how do you even? Do you think whoever made the Blue Yeti was just like, we are going to produce these and watch all these podcasters with this super phallic thing in their mouth and just laugh every time? Yeah. 
it's just a joke because the actual mic is probably like one-tenth the size and they just put out this big phallic penis over it as a case. Well, if yours is phallic, mine's a micro penis. Yeah, you got a micro penis. <laughs> this is like the extra push to come on YouTube because you'll see the differences in sizes of these two mics. You and I are actively, you know, remote podcasting. It works, and then there's always a hiccup, so... For all the people out there that do podcasts on your own, you probably are feeling us if you don't. There's a lot of work that goes into podcasting that people are unaware of. So This is just pure <laughs> hilarity because I've got my both of my hands wrapped around mine. And Julie, you can probably fit that little thing. Oh, I could definitely the, deep throw this thing. <laughs> oh, well, you heard it, ladies and gentlemen. She just said she could totally deep throw her mic. Not <laughs> while I, I can barely Not lick that mine. I will, but yeah, yours is... <laughs> I couldn't do that one, that's for sure. <laughs> I had a friend in high school who gave a blowjob for the first time ever, but apparently his penis is so big. She had a bunch of broken blood blisters in her mouth. Like her whole mouth was just blistered and and bloody. <laughs> like, what? But that was her first experience wow. of giving a blowjob. So that will make you never want to do that again, that's for sure. I'm pretty sure she's never given another blowjob. Did she have the blue yeti? Yeah, right. She's like, ah, oh, it was like a metal tasting thing. <laughs> that was a microphone, honey. <laughs> but this thing is pure hilarity. And I mean, like for anybody who's ever done podcasting or sound anything, I'm sure you've gone through all kinds of equipment just from five years of doing the show. I think we've recycled through like six, seven different mics, Julie, like different yeah. mic setups, recording setups. I don't even know how many mics we have at this point. We're still trying to find the one, you know, it's just yep, like dating. It's just like dating. <laughs> Got to find the one. It's either the micro penis or the huge penis. Nothing in between. <laughs> yeah, this is no Goldilocks here, bitches. It's just. <laughs> either big or small. But this week, okay, so let's get to updates from this week since nothing crazy happened. <laughs> I guess we should make up our own. <laughs> Julie's mic just fell on her boob. She was just, what is that? Like, that's not motorboating. It's like but titty fucking, right? Titty fucking. That's it. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, okay, I know we're digressing here. We were like, we're going to keep this intro really short. No, but no, no this is no. going to go for five hours. <laughs> when you did that, it reminded me because again, back in high school, all these thoughts, my friend had really big tits and she was able to titty fuck a lot. And I was really jealous because I I can't even put a pencil in between my boobs. <laughs> so I can't, like your micro penis in front of me, Julie, I can't titty fuck that. But I was kind of jealous of what you just did there. I feel like, is that even a thing anymore? I feel like that, like, right. when's the last time you heard anyone mention that term? Like, never. High school. High school, right. <laughs> it's like box. High school. It went out with the window with the word box. I also like to hear from the men. Does titty fucking actually feel good or is it just visually pleasing? Because like, your titties aren't like wet or anything. Yeah, and also like realistically, boobs aren't that close together that it would be giving any circulation right. at all. It's probably just yeah. a visual thing. I think it's just going to be a lot of chafing, if yeah. anything else. <laughs> Titty fucking question of 2020. That's the question of 2020. <laughs> that's that's the question of 2020. Of everything that's happened this year, what we really like to know, get to the bottom of is, is titty fucking still a thing? If it is, please share your experience. <laughs> Do you lube up your tits first? Do you lube him up first? Do you have to lick it first? I don't know. Like, there's got to be some lubrication. You know. Well, now that we're we're talking about all this thing, maybe we should make 
our announcement up front. Julie's such a producer. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, listen, (laughs) we still have an agenda. I don't know why. It's because I'm holding this thing with both my hands. I just want to talk about sex. (laughs) Everything I'm thinking about right now is just sex. I'm like, well, that's that's what got me thinking about our announcement. So we're doing a lot (laughs) of sex. (laughs) We're doing a live stream. We haven't done one in a while. We're going to do a private one in our Facebook group. So we're going to have the ability to ask all sorts of questions. So if you do want to know about titty fucking or any other questions, like we can answer it. That's what that's the tie back here. There you go. (laughs) It all goes back to sex. Uh, we are doing this live stream. There may be some live titty fucking going on too. <laughs> but that not will real. get us kicked yeah. off Facebook. <laughs> but yes. that will get us views. Whatever get gets us views these days, we're willing to do. Not with our own titties, but like, you know, someone else, someone will volunteer. But we that is one of the topics we are addressing, among many other things, like newest dating terms that we've never heard of. We're going to get to the bottom of those. We may be introducing some surprise guests from our Facebook. Facebook community who want to say a quick hi. We are unveiling something big, mm-hmm. bigger than titty bigger fucking. than the blue yeti, <laughs> bigger than the blue yeti. You're gonna need like four mouths for this <laughs> to really consume what's about to happen. But we do have a big announcement. Something Julie and I have been working on together with our friend Louise. We're really excited about this. We've looked for every excuse to create more content and to create more community. And I think we unlocked the key to that I think yeah. unlock the door key or just to unlock you know what I mean I mean I was talking to one of our members today and she was like Shieldy we'll give her a shout out Shieldy one of our Love hosts Shieldy. in our group and she was like I met my boyfriend because of you guys <laughs> yeah she did and not even no, just really yeah that's what she was saying but also I think it was like the fact that you know it just like gave her confidence and you know just showed her like different perspective she kept saying is like now mm-hmm. I don't think about things so linearly but also not only did she meet a boyfriend but she like met her people that she hangs out with that she's like this is like a legit family that i look forward to seeing every single thursday so yeah that's a that's a firsthand testimonial here of how how we're changing lives every day and how we're going to continue to change lives and shieldy has changed my life i don't (laughs) normally wear lipstick but i'm wearing lipstick today because i thought of shieldy (laughs) and every time i see her in happy hour she's got this beautiful bright red lipstick on it's just so sexy and noticeable that I decided to rock my own today. So there thank you, you Shieldy. You've changed my life. I may still be in pajamas, but I'm rocking that <laughs> lipstick because of you. Well, thank the you. good news is with Zoom, no one knows if you're in pajamas. You can show up to our <laughs> live stream. You could be in your pajamas. But yeah, our live stream is going to be this coming Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific, so 8.30 Eastern mm-hmm. time. So if you are not already in the Facebook group, this is the final Now's call. The no, it's not the final call but you should do we're closing we're closing it forever well after our titty fucking they might close us but (laughs) it's educational it is never the final call but you should get in here because people love it we had a bunch of new people that joined last week that like said Mm -hmm. how amazing the community is and you know it it can be all levels like some people are just lurkers and they say like Mm having i haven't actually posted much but i love this i look forward to reading everything every day and then some people are like actively at every happy hour so you can do you and pick what works for you there's something for everyone here and there's going to be something for everyone in what we will be unveiling on thursday 
And a huge selling point of our group, Julie, I think it's that you don't have to be single. In fact, no. we have a lot of people who aren't single. They're in relationships. People just want to talk about love. They want exactly. to talk about connection. Right now, too, all the rules have changed. Like, we were already yeah. saying there's no rules before COVID, but now, like, who the fuck knows what's going on? Like, if you're dating, if you're in a relationship, everything's different. Like, I shared this last week that I had my yes, first we want to know socially distanced date this week. And it was it was a success. You know, I don't know if this is like my person or we're going to continue, but I had a good time. And that's really all you can ask from a date. Like we went to a bar, we sat outside, so I did not go on a walk for anyone curious. <laughs> I know, that was going to be my question. Did you go on a walk? Well, I already knew we weren't going on a walk before. But <laughs> okay, good. And he was really good at picking the location. And what is actually ironic, I didn't realize this until I was walking there, is my last date before the pandemic shutdown was at the same bar. So it has like literally come full circle. And I don't know if you all remember, but I shared how that was like one of the worst dates of my life. And I actually think I might have underplayed how bad it was. Like this guy got very grabby and like, I don't want to use the word rapey, but a little like intense. Like I actually was scared after this date and this is not something that's happened to me. So I actually, I think when I was talking about it the first time, I don't think I fully even like processed what happened, but it was just not okay. But this new date was very, very respectable like very very respectful he was we had great and respectable and respectable (laughs) all the r's um not rapey though maybe not all the r's actually (laughs) just the good r's the good r's only but yeah we had really good conversation we talked actually a lot about politics so we'll get into that too about some of our Mm. upcoming experiment and some of the thoughts people had but we yeah we just had a good time i think like what's interesting why i brought this up to like navigating current dating i think the part i like like one of my friends like texted me after was like how was it and i'm like i think it was good but there was like no social cues for dating you know how like you're used to like someone either like touching your leg or like playfully Mm -hmm. touching your arm or even going in for the kiss at the end like Mm -hmm. when the date ended he's like i would hug you but you know like it's just like all of that is gone and it's not any reflection of the connection it's just very interesting as someone like trying to read it like all the cues that we used to read are no longer cues that's (laughs) fascinating i i didn't really think about that because there is no written code for dating anymore and you don't actually know what people are comfortable with. You have to take several steps back. Also, the other thing is we only did two drinks, but it was also outdoors. Mm. And it was getting, it was pretty chilly that night. And poor guy, I commend him for this. He got his four wisdom teeth out the night before. <gasps> and he still came to the date. He just... What a good sport. I know. He could That's a good boy. I know. He could <laughs> What a good boy. <laughs> now we're resorting to puppy play from the week before. Sorry, I can't shake it. <laughs> but yeah, wow. he got four wisdom teeth, so he couldn't actually drink any alcoholic beverages, and he couldn't oh. eat anything that was hard, like any... Oh my god! So he basically had like a virgin mojito, and he had um, and a like a dessert, because <laughs> that was like the only... They didn't even have soup at the place. So, I mean, that's the thing is like, he did like kind of cut it at two drinks, like I went to the bathroom and came 
came back and was like, I hope you don't mind. Like I got the check. So <laughs> it's one of those things that I'm like, I don't know how to read into that. Like it could literally be nothing or it could have been like, I want to wrap it up, you know? Have so. you ever had your wisdom teeth pulled? Yeah, it's painful. Do you remember how painful it was I'm, I'm the day shocked. after? I told him, I was like, I'm so surprised you're here right now. And like, it really is really nice that you're here right now. <laughs> And you the didn't fact cancel. that he went, he made it through two drinks. Yeah, exactly. That's a thing too. Yeah, he is a <laughs> hero. Yeah. I don't think I would have made it through one drink. Totally, <laughs> exactly. So we've talked since. We don't haven't like set up another date. I would definitely go on another date with him. Like I really enjoyed his company and personality, and he was just seemed like a really good guy. So there's nothing that like there. Would I say it was like the most intense connection I've ever had? No, but also I don't know if that's like just circumstantial too. So anyways, I'm open. I think I'm in the best place where things are. It's like I'm open, but I'm also like if things don't work out, I wouldn't be devastated. But I really think that's how everything should be at this stage. Like not to say that you can't get excited about someone, but the reality is I did meet this guy for what? two hours like I don't mm-hmm. know much about him he doesn't know much about me yeah and that's kind of the conundrum with casual dating to begin with is there's just no book or guide that was no. written for what this means and what to do next so what do you think will happen next so I actually this is kind of funny as I realized that I most of our communication actually was through hinge like we never took it to text Because Hinge does video and phone calls and he had an Android. So we couldn't do FaceTime. And I really don't want to be setting up Zoom meetings for dates. It just feels so formal. So basically, we were going to use WhatsApp. But then we saw that you could do everything through Hinge now, which is actually great to not have to like give your number. And the video quality was pretty good and everything. So um, but I realized like after like all of our communication was through this app. So I was like, I don't even know if I have this guy's number and vice versa, which I've never gone into a date like that before. So I just like sent him a message like the next day and was just like, I had a really fun time. Like I realized we never exchanged like contact info. So if you want, like, I'm like, if you want to chat or hang out again, like, here's my number. And he like replied, like he had a great time too. And like, he asked if I'd like WhatsApp again. So anyways, it's, there's been a conversation. So I think where I'm at is like, I've kind of put it in, like, I've shared that I I, w- I had a good time. I shared yeah. that I'm open again. And if he follows up, great. And if he doesn't, then on to the next Right. And you're not, I guess the connection wasn't deep enough for you to ask him out. I mean, I kind of like put it out there like like I had a good time. Like I would do it. Well, it's like t- This is typical female speak yeah, that true. men hate, right? They're true. like, you put it out there, but you didn't though. <laughs> you, know, you said you had a good time, but that's not you wanting to hang out. Yeah. You know, it's, ugh, I, this is like the existential debate, I swear to God. And I'm like someone that is so like pro, like take charge of things. But at the same time, like I do want someone that is going to make an effort, you know? You want someone to take charge and to also ask you out. But I would challenge that by asking you, do you, how much do you want to see him again? On a scale of one to 10, 10's like, I can't wait to see him again. One's like, I really don't. I would say probably between like a five to seven. That's a hard place to be in because you're kind of like, eh, could yeah. be nice. I wouldn't hate it. But if it doesn't happen, I'm not 
Like, right. whatever. Well, I feel like there was, like, more of a friend vibe that was given mm. off. But we did talk about politics for a really long time. And maybe, I don't know, it's, it's really hard not to talk about politics right now, given where right. we are. But I don't know if I would necessarily... I think it's good for to hear people out and what their values are and all that. But I don't know if we got to like a deeper place. Like I could have had that conversation potentially with anyone, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah I mean, again, like I'm totally open to doing another date. I enjoyed his company. But would I be devastated if we never saw each other again? No. But it was a great first date back out there. That's good. Makes you want to go on more totally. socially distance I, dates. I know. I kind of like forgot how to date. Actually, one of our, <laughs> we did something in our Facebook group this week of like what dating term describes how your love life is right yeah. now. And we actually That's made them into terms. So we have this new terms on the website. So you can check that out too. And one of them that someone put, I put this name to it. So I feel very proud of this, but it was like, someone's like, oh, everything is new for the first time again with dating. Mm. So I called it the born again dater, like instead yeah, of like the born say, again virgin. Born again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I felt like the born again dater, just taking it all in. <laughs> I also feel like at least hearing it from my single friends, you almost forgot all the problems you had with dating yeah. because it's been so long that these problems are reappearing like the whole texting black hole or like not hearing from them and then suddenly they become new problems because you're like oh i'm so out of practice on how to handle this yeah Yeah, how do i deal with this again yeah i mean it's kind of crazy that i haven't had like a i mean i did have like a mini relationship back in the picture so it wasn't like it was a little circumstantial outside of covid but it is kind of crazy like i haven't really been super dating since like before Mm -hmm. march which is before covid really took Mm -hmm. over and i think a lot of people are on that boat yeah and some for longer because i know a lot of people are on a sabbatical beginning of the year being like i'll i'll save march for when i really get back out there when it's spring (laughs) and then march hits they're like fuck right it's like i need to you know in uh january it's always like your new year's resolution your 2020 vision board how many of us had that fucking 2020 vision that went to shit right (laughs) Absolutely. It shows you, you can't really plan for anything. <laughs> I think that's though, for sure. We did want to talk about this too, but we put it out to everyone that we're going to do a political experiment that we've been mm-hmm. wanting to do is have two people with differing political views get together on a date and see how, you know, like, can you fall in love or maybe not in love after date one, but at least want to pursue this person as a romantic prospect, even when you know that you have totally different views than them. And this doesn't mean that we're looking for a hardcore Trump supporter. You can both be supporting the same candidates, but have very differing political views on policy, on just overall beliefs. So I think for anyone who thinks we're trying to get a Trump supporter and a non-Trump supporter together, that's we all know that's a little difficult. But it's just two people who may see some things a little bit differently even though okay so i am not a trump supporter i've made that very clear on this that being said i have talked to trump supporters during this time and i think one of the things i've learned and why i think we really should be doing this is that just because you're a trump supporter doesn't mean that you're racist and all the things that we like right Of course, there are Trump supporters that are racist. I'm not saying that there aren't, but it's not like 
it doesn't automatically make you all of the things that Trump is just because you support him. There are people that do support him for other reasons, whether you agree with it or not, like that's up to you. But I, I think the danger is when we make these super blanket statements and it's not yeah. just Democrats doing that to Republicans. It is certainly the other side too. Like there's some crazy ass shit on the internet. And I witnessed some of this firsthand because I went to some Republican Facebook groups this weekend <laughs> to try to recruit. That's how dedicated I am to finding the best guests that we can. I joined Rational Republicans, which, by the way, was not so rational because they... <laughs> they what a So name. I posted... And I said full on, I was like, moderator, if this is not cool, like, feel free to take it down or not post it. It not only didn't, it went through admin approval and they approved it. Oh, so someone someone physically looked at it and approved it. And then someone got all on my high and mighty saying how inappropriate it was and all this stuff. And I'm like, with all due respect, they did approve it. And they said that it was okay to post it. And it's just like the comments on that, the comments even on Instagram, on our posts of just how extreme people are, like this is why our country is divided. And that's exactly what we don't want to have in this experiment is extremist views, even though I know that extremist people would not want to be part of this experiment (laughs) anyway. We're not looking for two people to fight. We're just looking for a intelligent conversation. And that's why another requirement is it's not just opposing political, political beliefs, but we also want people who are very well versed in politics yeah. and who are knowledgeable about politics. So it's not just like, I hate you because you're a Trump supporter. Right. Or you're a racist, et cetera, vice versa. Yeah. I think also it's going to be like that, like you kind of said, like you're going to, there's natural selection of who even opts into this in the first mm-hmm. place. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're trying to bring people together and not make it like freaking every other news outlet or bad Reddit board that you can find. So yeah, that's not the thing. And the goal is still dating, right? This is not a presidential debate. Right, right. We actually probably won't even be airing like everyone's like last view on everything. It's more just, you know how we've done the he said, she said of just perspective of the date. That's where we're going with it. So Anyways, yes. I have got it. We did get a lot of people, though, that did reach out and said, I'm really glad that you guys are doing this. There's such a bad divide right now. It will bring to light more just truth, truce in it, how not everyone is like an extreme left or extreme right. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what we're going with. And again, if you did get offended by this, that was not the intention. So, of course, you are always welcome to skip episodes. But we do hope that you listen because I think the intention is to make things more connection, not further that divide. Yeah. Thank you all for the DMs and the feedback. We always read those and we really appreciate them. We also read all of our reviews. (laughs) Guess what? It's true. Especially if you give us a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts, we read all of those. And then we find you on Facebook and stalk you. (laughs) Just kidding. No, we can't do do that from a username. Do you want to scare people from doing reviews? I'm not trying to scare them. (laughs) We already scared them with a titty fucking. I can't scare them with this virtual stalking. They're still here. still here. Sign me up for some virtual stalking. Yeah. Even like you're still listening either because you're still interested and you you like us. Thank you. (laughs) Or you're like my friend Yanwei who fell asleep to an episode he was listening to. Not ours, but ours is in his rotation. (laughs) He fell asleep to something and woke up to us talking about something very inappropriate at like 3 (laughs) a.m. 
Wait, which like, episode? What am I, listening to? I want to hear this. That sounds like a story all, all in itself. Maybe that needs to come at the live stream. I think you might need to He's drop like, that no, story. This is a nightmare. <laughs> it's happening. That's hilarious. Um, yes, but reviews, we really appreciate them because it helps us get really good guests. Mm-hmm. It helps us support the podcast. You're supporting ind- independent artists and content makers. So it's I think it's a way to pay it forward as well. And it doesn't cost you anything. It's just five stars, takes five seconds. And then if you want to leave us a nice little note, we love that too. And thank you. Thank you for all of you who've already done that. We really appreciate it. It really makes when we're fiddling with our microphones a lot more pleasant that we remember (laughs) that one, we are helping people every day and two, (laughs) you know. We should make it, Julie, that... (laughs) Every for every 100 reviews we get, we update upgrade our microphone. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I thought we upgraded it and then COVID hit, so that was a thing. Is we need a virtual setup more, but we'll, we'll get and, there. <laughs> and everyone's years hear different things. Oh, and every player is different. Every player is different. I mean, I'm, I'm noticing this with even just this microphone right now. It's I sound very different to myself, and I'm acting a little strange because of it but (laughs) every year is different and you hear yourself differently and your close your loved ones hear you differently it's really weird how our years work but a good microphone does help facilitate the story so we will keep upgrading as long as we get those reviews in yeah it's a promise from us yeah help us get to 500 that's the goal yeah we're at 300 so we're almost yeah we're almost there Almost there. We know there's more of you out there. We know that. More. And maybe after this episode. Ooh, it's going to be a good one. There'll be more because this episode with Sherry Gaba, who is a celebrity therapist, I guess you could call her. And she has worked with a ton of celebrities as well as non-celebrities about love addiction, really. Well, she was on Celebrity Rehab, which with Dr. Drew. I don't know if anyone remembers that VH1 show, but I definitely remember that show. Oh, shit show. I mean, a good show, but showing a lot of shit show. Um, she is so interesting for this topic in particular because she's been married many times. She is a self-professed love addict herself. Mm-hmm. And after speaking with her, I think Julie and I both found kind of symptoms in ourselves totally. on how we could also be love addicts. And there's nothing wrong with it, but it's also about how it it helps you. They're like coping mechanisms to help to help you navigate like the challenges, the heartbreak, the disappointment that comes with being addicted to falling in love and that feeling of being in love. I think it's also just like everything is okay in moderation, but it's the excessiveness that becomes problematic. And that's like other addictions you think of with like gambling or sex or drinking or even like food addiction, right? Like you have to eat to physically be healthy, but it becomes problematic when that's consuming every last thought you have. So I think what she was saying here and her book, um, Love Smacked, which was super good. We read that before doing the interview. So definitely recommend it. It's out now. And I was reading it and I'm like... (laughs) Okay, I definitely have some of these symptoms for sure. And I don't think I'm like full-blown relationship or love addict. I think maybe she kind of diagnosed me more as a romance addict than a relationship addict. But I do think regardless of where you fall on this spectrum, there's always opportunities to like 
you know, get more confident in yourself. Because I think this all does come down to self-confidence. And I mean, honestly, what I was saying about the date, like that I could kind of go either way and I'm really not stressing about it. Like there was a point in my life that I definitely stressed about, like if someone would call, text me back, even if I was a five to seven, like I would, Absolutely. I would freak out, like if I didn't get that second date and I would measure it against my self-worth. And I think having that confidence that like, yeah, you're obviously open and want good things to happen. And doesn't mean that like, love is an essential part of life. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have love in your life. But it also is staying true to yourself and not letting it like overtake you and, you know, just completely dismiss everything else going on in your life. It's related to our would you rather um, from a few weeks ago of would you fast forward to love mm-hmm. five years from now or would you stay put and live those five years? And our takeaway was finding love isn't the only thing right. in life. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful part of life. But you can't sacrifice some of the other experiences you have just to find love. Right. And I think also it's you attract, like like attracts like. So if mm-hmm. you're feeling insecure, you're going to attract insecure partners and just set up relationships that aren't set up for success. So I think just all of this, like I, I firmly believe it is the internal work that really does make people truly dateable. Not to say the external hacks can't help, but the internal work is essential. And it's about falling in love with yourself too. Yes. That may sound really corny for some people, but for (laughs) anybody who's been through that journey, you know that falling in love encompasses more than just your partner. Oh, totally. You have to fall in love with yourself first before you, you love someone else. Yeah. I'm feeling so warm. So I'm feeling like there's butterflies in my stomach, feeling lovey-dovey, lovey-dovey in a way that I want to show our love for our sponsor. Yes, I do. Thank you so much for our sponsor, BetterHelp. So in these unprecedented times, some of us may be experiencing unprecedented feelings. For me, I've talked about just feeling anxiety and I had bouts of depression and just mourning for a lot of things that I've lost this year. So it's time to think about how are you feeling today and know that you're not alone in this mental health journey. That's where BetterHelp comes in. They offer online counseling with professional, credible, and compassionate therapists in a safe and private environment. Their counselors specialize in depression, relationships, trauma, pandemics, you name it. With 3,000 U.S. licensed professionals across all 50 states, they make it easier than ever to find help. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all of those 50 states. Now, for Datable listeners only, you get 10% off your first month with the code Datable. Get started today by going to betterhelp.com slash Datable and join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash Datable and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E for 10% off your first month. Shall we get to Sherry? Let's do it. I think before we get to Sherry, though, like one other comment is I feel like everyone we know that has fallen in love with themselves and formed healthy relationships has had therapy in the mix. So oh, yes, therapy all the way. (laughs) Therapy for the win. If we could be (laughs) sponsored by just therapy, like the industry, we would. (laughs) 
<laughs> because that is what's helping us. It's just that, that feeling of you're not alone in this. And some people have said that our podcast is therapeutic, which I take as such a compliment because that is a goal. Is that we want you to feel like you're not the only one navigating through all these crazy moments in life. And didn't Sherry even say that we should be therapists at the end? Yeah, she she's did. Not the, she's not the first one, though. I'm just she's saying. not. She's not. But when you hear it from a therapist, that's always, that means it's legit. Like we have straight cred. <laughs> All right. We may not be licensed, but we've been told that we should be. <laughs> just saying. Anyway, but here's a real therapist, Sherry. Now, there are different kinds of things you can be addicted to. You can be addicted to drugs. You can be addicted to sex. You can also be addicted to relationships. That's a little new for me. And our expert today, Sherry Gaba, she is the expert on relationship addiction. She's in her 50s. She currently lives in Calabasas. She's been there for 21 years. And she's currently dating someone but haven't defined the relationship. But get this, she's a psychotherapist, life coach, and author. She specializes in addiction recovery with her own private practice. But you may recognize her from being the go-to expert on Dr. Drew's celebrity rehab show on VH1, and later the spinoff show VH1 Sober House, as well as Celebrity Rehab's Sex Addiction. Those celebrities, you know, if it's not drugs, it's sex it's, you know, they got to be addicted to something. <laughs> and she's also an award-winning author of multiple books with her most recent Love Smacked that is all about relationship addiction. So as I mentioned in the intro, there's different kinds of addiction, but what is relationship addiction and how does it, how does it show up for people? So it's really interesting. And by the way, thank you for having me. I'm really excited yes. to be here. <laughs> and yeah, you know, substances is a little different than what we'd call a relationship addiction. A relationship addiction is a process addiction. So when you think of like food addictions or gambling addictions or codependency or shopping, debting, those are all process addictions. And it's the same sort of feelings that drive addiction, which is usually some kind of early trauma, some kind of abandonment issue, some kind of attachment issue, dysfunctional parenting, abuse, you know, some kind of neglect very interesting because really you're always chasing that first high of love. You really need to be with somebody to be feeling whole. Um, it's the person's only identity. So when a breakup mm. occurs, this addictive lover longs for the attachment and the pleasurable feelings of the lost relationship as much as the drug user is longing for their fix. So you think of a heroin addict needing a fix well, and always chasing that first high, that first crack high, that first cocaine high, that first heroin high. The love addict, relationship addict is always looking for the first high of their first love relationship. Is being addicted to relationships different than being addicted to love? You know, it's interesting. Um, I kind of put them in the same category. I think they're very similar. Maybe relationship means you have to be in a relationship. Maybe love is I have to be in love, which to mm. me is really the same thing. There are some, you know, professionals that differentiate. I would say romance addiction might be a little different. Like you're always addicted to the high of the beginnings, you know, mm. that romance, you know, just like an addict maybe or an alcoholic sort of romance is over the opening up the wine and the cork and, you know, serving them in beautiful wine glasses. So the romance addict is all about the first 
date and, you know, where are they mm. going to take me and, you know, the, the roses and all of that. But they all sort of overlap. So I don't really worry about the word too much. I'm really here to talk about, you know, obsess, obsession. It's basically an addiction to, to someone having to be coupled up feeling lost without a relationship. You know, normal dating is you go on a date and then maybe it turns into a relationship and then sort of that bubble fades a little bit, which fades anyway, but the love addict, it never fades. Mm. They're always in that high zone, you know, Mm. that love high zone. I always go through some of the signs and symptoms because there may be someone going, I still don't get it. And is it me? Is it me? So a lot of times love addiction, relationship addiction overlaps with codependency. So it's an over adapting to what others want. So you'll do anything for that relationship, which is also Mm. a codependent characteristic. You have no boundaries. You are just petrified of letting go. You are really scared about living in the unknown. You have to know. So for daters out there, you know, that's a, that are love addicts, it's really painful. They're always trying to change, fix, manipulate others to be what they want them to be. They're sort of in love with the illusion instead of the person themselves. They need someone else to make them feel whole. They need that, that outside affirmation that for their self-worth. And again, like I said earlier, they have the withdrawal symptoms. Interesting. So in your book, you go deep deep into your own personal story about relationship addiction. Can you kind of take us through your own story, your own past relationships and marriages? Sure. Thanks for asking me that. Well, the main reason I wrote this book is I really want to eradicate the shame around, well, regular addiction, of course, but really the shame around having multiple relationships or in my case, multiple marriages. You know, I was a love addict from the get-go. And when I share my trauma story, you'll understand people don't just wake up and say, oh, I want to have a bunch of failed relationships. Oh, I want to have a really bad picker. Oh, I want to be abused or I want to be with a narcissist or an addict. There are reasons that we pick these people. And even in my you know, 50s, I, I finally believe I got it. I left the alcoholic fourth husband when I was in my early 50s. And I really went on a journey of, you know, uncovering and discovering. I worked with my trauma, early trauma stuff that I really never worked on. Um, And the way I worked on it was more of a body type therapy where you really get the energy of your trauma out instead of just talking about it. You actually release that energy. And I can talk about that. But I was a preemie. And I always tell people this story. I was in an incubator for two and a half months. I'm a little older than you lovely ladies. And in those days, preemies, uh, they didn't know that they had special needs. They didn't understand bonding, attachment. And so I literally did not meet my mother for two and a half months. I basically was not touched, nurtured, bonded, attuned. And so I really always was looking on the outside, looking for that approval. I was being fed through my feet. They probably, I wasn't fed a bottle those first few months. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they didn't pick me up all that much because they could feed me through my feet. So I always felt different. You know, when I was growing up, if my parents were going out on a Saturday night, my little brother would be like, bye, have fun, go. <laughs> and I would be like, wow, don't leave, don't leave. So I always knew that I was different. And then I got that first hit at 14 with my first boyfriend. And that Mm. was like, oh my God. So this is what I've been missing. Just like the alcoholic says about their first glass of wine or the heroin Mm. of the first hit. And I'm like, oh, this feels so good. And now I feel whole and now I feel loved and I feel like I belong. And and really that that was it. And and so I was in complete terror when I wasn't in a relationship. And problem is it sets you up for being abused. It sets you up for, you know, having predators find you because you'll settle for anything. You know, you'll settle for less. 
And that's a lot of what I did. Let's hold that thought for a second. We'll get right back to it. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC. THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to viahemp.com and use a code DATABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's viahemp.com and use a code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style, spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. Wait, <laughs> wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. When she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? <laughs> and maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. 
Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So what happened in your first marriage? Can you kind of take us through a couple of like the four? Yeah, take us through all your marriages. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) And again, I want uh, thank you for asking. And again, I want to really emphasize for those listening, you know, there's nothing to be embarrassed if this is you. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm talking about it because Mm -hmm. I was really embarrassed. Like I wouldn't tell people I've been married four times. I couldn't do it. And now I'm like, whatever, this is my story. But yes, the first husband um, I met at a disco and I really married him on the rebound from that first boyfriend I was talking about. I was probably not in love, but I am grateful because I had my daughter, but I became a single mother. He actually left me and moved back east. You know, as I look back, it's fine because I, it's just fine. Like it wasn't really like this, oh my God, love, you know, in love relationship. It was just like, he's the dad and I'm the mom. And it was hard being a single mother, but I wouldn't change anything. So he, he left after four years. And then a couple of years later, I met this, and this again is like the romance, the, you know, being in love with the illusion. I met this really gorgeous guy from New York, really edgy, you know, How dark. old were you? At that point, I was 31. Okay. I got married the first time at 22, which was way Whoa. too bad. Yeah. And I had a baby at 25. So I met this guy from New York and he was just hot and I just was like smitten and it was total like to me, love at first sight, which really doesn't exist, but in my love addicted brain, it did exist. Mm-hmm. And literally we were engaged after six weeks. Oh, <clears> wow. six wow. weeks. Wow. Six weeks. Yeah. You're very enamored. <laughs> I, well, I never used my brain, guys. I was using other parts of my body. So, you know, that's lady brains. Um, you know, if you smell good and you look good, I'm yours. So that didn't work out. We were, we got married and then we were together literally 10 months. The third one was really painful. I was abused. He was a horrible person, but I was now 36, wanting another child, feeling the pressure. I was kind of in love with I was in love with his package, so to speak, not that package, but <laughs> his whole yeah. his whole like, you know, comes from a really good family, right. you know. Um but really he was completely a sociopath and I would call him a narcissist and I would say that he was extremely verbally abusive and I wouldn't say physically, but definitely just a very painful relationship. I literally was married to him for four months. Oh, we wow. Had a, we had a wedding planned of 300 people that his parents were making because my parents were kind of done making me weddings at this point. Oh. <laughs> so I'm ready to go down the aisle and there's this big, uh, beautiful, I guess you'd say like a drape, like a drape that opens up. And there I am, this beautiful bride. Well, the pedestal flowers drops on the back of my, my dress. And I'm like, oh, that is definitely a sign. Yeah, that's a sign. Right? <laughs> Abort, and get out. <laughs> get out now. And especially, you know, if I'm like sitting there on the altar looking at the canter going, God, is he hot? You know, oh and I'm supposed God. to be marrying this guy. <laughs> Truly just on, my brain was not working, just not working. I, I just was all about hooking, you know, not hooking up, but being partnered up. That was what it was about. And it was a terrible choice. And again, I, I, um, I take responsibility and I own all my choices. There are reasons, you know, I didn't have certain early needs met and, and Mm -hmm. this is just how it landed. So he was my third. And then the fourth one, another gorgeous guy from New York was an alcoholic, really good choice. Um, but he was in recovery. So I thought, Oh, well, he'll never drink again. He's in recovery. I had no idea that alcoholism is a one day at a time program. At least I didn't know that then we had a good seven years. And, um, I would say it was a great relationship for seven years until he started relapsing. And then it just went downhill and, but that's really when I kind of woke up 
you know, that's why I created this program I have called Wake Up Recovery for Codependence. And you guys will probably put it in your show notes or somewhere. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's it's a tribe of people that are just waking up to the truth of who they are. And, you know, it's hard to do that when you're obsessed with other people, when you're, uh, you just need to be with someone no matter what, when you feel lost and empty and you feel like you're in the ethers without a relationship. And so it really mm-hmm. is a waking up process. Sherry, if I'm doing my math right, you said you divorced the fourth man in your 50s and you were married for seven years. So there was kind of a gap between your third and fourth husband Uh, a few years. 36 to 42. Yeah. Okay. So in those years, I mean, that's that's six years, right? Yeah. Were there any signs of thinking about the last three marriages or were you just kind of looking for the next thing? You know, it's a great question. I think part of the issue, and I'm not going to blame it completely, but I went back to graduate school at 35 Mm. and I was a single mom and I was driving two hours to USC and back and I was trying to work and intern. And I think those five years that I was in graduate school, I was hardly present. I was hardly present anyway, but I was so much trying to achieve this goal and it just took over my life. And then when I met Scott, you know, I was sort of ready to be with someone. But again, it was just for all the, you know, he looked good, smelled good. And that was that was that. And I just hadn't, I didn't do the work, you know, the real trauma work. Well, that's what I was going to ask. It doesn't sound like during that break, you were just focused on other things. It wasn't like a conscious thing. So while like I was reading the book, I was like, there's some signs that I'm like, am I a relationship addict? Mm -hmm. Like, what, what is the line between like being obsessively compulsive about an obsession with relationships versus like, you know, just the standard anxieties that kind of come with dating and relationships? So in healthy relationships, when couples first meet, they idealize each other and they're forming a really healthy attachment. But as love matures, it becomes less intense, a little more secure, trust develops alongside the love. But people with relationship you know, addiction never get past that initial stage of falling in love. They idealize the person they're in love with but never feel secure enough to trust them. And then they become dependent on the person they love in an unrealistic way, hoping somewhat this person will create a kind of happily ever after for them. So it's unrealistic to to expect anyone else to create a satisfying life for you. So inevitably, you're going to be disappointed because you're kind of in love with the idea of love. You're sort of in love with the illusion instead of the real person. Mm. And ultimately, they're never satisfying and can't seem to live without them, which is the other problem. But they're not based on healthy bonds. They're on a psychological bondage, which is the relationship addiction or the codependency. So I want to go back to Julie's question, because I think in my experience with addicts, they never recognize themselves in these symptoms. They're right. like, that's not me. I just, right. I'm, you know, I just like being in relationships. I'm a serial monogamist. Like, what are some common phrases that someone would say to themselves if, if they are somewhat addicted to relationships? I don't know about phrases. I mean, it would just be they're always on the search. They're always mm. on the next dating app. You know, one is over or not even over and they're on to the next one. You know, they're just, it's more of a a behavior uh, of just Mm. the search and the panic sets in that they have to have somebody. Um, Oh, the panic. That's key right there. terrorized. Um, You know, when you first meet someone, you fall in love instantly. You think of them constantly. You're immediately fantasizing about a future together. These are Mm -hmm. some signs that you're getting a little obsessive. You overwhelm partners with attention. And you feel it's your responsibility to fix your partner and make them perfect. Because again, you're falling in love with an illusion 
And if you had to let go of that illusion, then you'd have to let go of the goodie. You know, you try to put a square peg into a round hole because you want it to work. You're not your authentic self and you're always trying to change yourself to suit them, to fit in. It's really hard for the digital dating uh, landscape because it's it kind of sets you up for addiction. It's already right. an addictive um, app. You know, the people that make those apps are already gamifying it so mm-hmm. that it is addictive. And then all of a sudden, it becomes even a greater addiction. Like, are they? Do they like me? Are they going to swipe on me? Are they going to pick pick me? Or, or you know, then they ghost you. And if you have a really weak, weak self esteem issue and you don't have a lot of confidence, and someone's ghosting you, which you know, I think is awful, but it's just the way it is today. Um, right. Or there's somebody better, bigger, prettier, lo- you know, longer legs, whatever, bigger boobs, whatever it is. Then, you know, you're left going, ah, uh, and you know, it doesn't feel very good. So if you're someone that has to, you know, really needs to work on yourself, really needs to feel whole within yourself, kind of like what I did finally in my early fifties, I just kind of stopped dating. I took up outrigger canoeing. I joined a 12 step program for families of alcoholics. I made some wonderful girlfriends, you know, then it morphed into becoming a grandmother and that becoming my real love. Like I'm in love with my grandma, my granddaughter, of course, you know, and I know a little older probably than your audience. And, but again, it's to take the shame away that, you know, it's never too late because I hear women in their 40s and 30s, they just think they're so old and, you know, what's yeah. wrong with me and I can't get this right. Well, hey, you know, I'm pretty happy, joyous and free and I'm a lot older. So never too late. So first of all, our audience is very varied. Like we do have the younger daters. This might be like their first relationships they're entering. But we do uh-huh. also have a lot of people that have had relationships and have been divorced and kind of could identify with some of this of being like defined by a relationship. I think like the part and at least this is what I'm gathering and let me know if this is correct. Like, there's probably like a spectrum of addictions. Like there's some parts that I definitely identify that I tend to fantasize a lot at the beginning. And like, I, I definitely don't fall in love with every last person. But when I do, like I fall hard even before I fully know them. But I'm also on the flip side, fully okay being by myself. Like I don't need to be in a relationship. Like Mm. it's more like when the right person comes around, I get a glimpse of it. And then I start to like imagine a life. So I guess like from your perspective. I guess I would call you a romance addict. <laughs> maybe, I would say you're maybe a romance, romance addict. Oh, I can kind yeah. of see that. Because yeah. you're, you know, you're not hooked into the actually like having to have a relationship. You're perfectly happy alone. But then once you have someone in your life that you're really excited about, then it becomes a whole story. Yep. And then, you know, you got the Prince Charming thing going on or whatever your charming is. And, <laughs> you know, suddenly you are, you know, got your wedding dress planned out and <laughs> how many kids you're going to have and where you're going to live. And, you know, you're already moved in. So I think that's more of a romance addiction. That's a good distinct distinguishment because I think that people fall into that camp a lot. Like we hear of people imagining their whole life before they've even got on their first date with some people. So Thank you for clarifying and maybe, and maybe, that. <laughs> and maybe it's a crossover to love addiction too. Like you just love being in love. I mean, it sounds like you're okay not being in love. So maybe, you know, I, I think, yeah, I'd say that's a romance addiction. I mean, I remember when I was young, I would like make up soap opera stories in my head. Like it was the <laughs> era of soap operas. And I would just like make these stories up. You know, there was a little drama going on in my house. I had great parents, but they did fight a lot. We had a lot of money problems. And so to escape, for me, I would go into fantasy and I would make up these stories. And, and I think that's really where it surfaced as a, an escape, a way to distract. 
And that's okay if I want to distract from noise, but it's not okay when you start living your life like that. And then, you know, then that's why we talk about alcoholics who distract with alcohol. And sometimes that's the only thing that can save them in the beginning. I mean, you know, because it's just so awful. They're, they're the chaos that's around them. You know, we all, you know, some people become bookworms. They get it, you know, they get addicted to reading. You know, we, we find our distractions. People get addicted to porn. You know, they get exposed to porn too early in their life or a parent is into porn and then all of a sudden now they're addicted to, to porn. Love addiction can often go with sex addiction for sure, but it really is on its own, its own addiction. Like it doesn't have to have both. The dangers of a relationship addiction, what it sounds like to me is that you're constantly jumping into other people's yeah. lives, mm -hmm. that the moment you're alone, you panic because you don't have a well thought out identity and you don't have your own life. So therefore, maybe the loneliness is more amplified. Yeah, that's a that's such a great way of, of really looking at it because you are, you're lost. I mean, when I divorced the alcoholic, I was absolutely lost. You know, we were very codependent on each other. We were each other's whole life, which was really unhealthy. And you're right. You, that person is your whole identity. It's kind of like the person who's a workaholic. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. their job is taken away, their identity. Mm, and then yes. and it's like, it's like, now who am I? Who am I in the world without you? And it's learning to embrace the who am I without the relationship. You know, I was in a relationship about a year and a half, ended uh, early COVID. We were together a year and a half. And it was really a great relationship until it wasn't. But this mm -hmm. was the first time in my life I could walk away and I'm, a, I'm old and I could walk away and be alone because I knew that mm. some red flags were showing up. It wasn't a bad relationship. It just, some things showed up. COVID sort of brought them out and I was able to walk away and it's, it's been the best, you know, it, was, it really felt good that there, I, there was no fear. There was like, right. okay, I have a life, you know, I have a life. I don't have to be with somebody. And I, you know, I didn't jump on any apps, you know, I didn't try to, you know, replace him right away. Um, now I'm dating a little bit, but it's very slow and steady. There's no urgency to it. Right. There's no terror to it. Um, I, I just have a very different attitude about it. It's not like a void you have to fill. Like if yeah. no, there's no void. My, I mean, literally, there's absolutely no void. I feel like I have the most wonderful whole life anybody could ask for. I have my daughter, my granddaughter, my career, my work, my friends, my canoeing is unfortunately because of the pandemic. I haven't been doing that, which is really sucks. I have to tell you. Um, <laughs> and, and not having 12 step meetings in person really sucks. Mm -hmm. That's another reason why this tribe is so great because people are, you know, what it really is, guys, it's a wanting connection. We all want connection, but we've mm -hmm. got to find healthy connection. And that's why I created that Wake Up Recovery and, uh, program because I want people to feel like they're not alone. You have a tribe of people that have your back. You know, we've got you. And I'm offering it for a dollar for people to check it out. That's a great deal. I think another really important distinction is also to look at yourselves when you're not in relationships. Because mm -hmm. I think sometimes when we're in relationships, we have blinders on and then we don't see some of the behaviors that we do all the time. But it's in between relationships. Are you feeling panic? Are you feeling you need to fill the void? Are you feeling lost? Like those are all really important um, symptoms, I guess you could call them. Or if Absolutely. you're a totally different person. Like I think if you're, like mm. I know some people that are just totally different when they're in relationships versus 
single. And I think that is a big piece. I love that you both said that because that's so true. I mean, my daughter, literally, I would, after um, the relapses with my ex-husband, we hadn't quite divorced and separated, but he would leave and then we'd go back and leave. There was this little drama going on for a minute during those relapses and people that have loved an alcoholic know what I'm talking about. But my daughter would get on the phone with me and she'd say, oh, you're talking to Scott, aren't you? She would just hear it in my voice. Just like if you were talking to an alcoholic that was drunk, Mm -hmm. like, oh, you're drinking again. I mean, it was just awful. There's so much freedom when you finally do the work. And trauma is what I say people need to, to work on, whether it's with an EMDR specialist. I do somatic work, which is releasing the, the energy in your body, working through the fight flight response. There's many modalities out there. Do the work, go, you know, go to sex and love addict anonymous meetings. But if you have some early trauma, it, you really need to work on it. And it's not a quick fix. There's no, there's no quick fix around it. But when you learn to get comfortable in your skin and are grounded in your reality and your body, there's nothing like it. You just don't need to run anymore. Just for clarification, does relationship addiction stem from trauma always? I believe so. I believe it absolutely. Because any addiction, you're looking to fill something that doesn't feel complete. It's, it's like a complete. It's like a mother wound. It's like a mm. early fracture. It's a, you know, you didn't get some kind of attunement. Maybe your parents were abusive. Maybe they neglected you. Maybe you came from a divorce and you became an adult parentified child. So what happens is you're invisible. They don't really see you, validate you, acknowledge you. Then you don't know who you really are. And then you become sort of invisible. And that's really who you are in the dating and love addiction world or relationship because you're like invisible. And the only way you don't feel invisible is if you are connecting to someone or partnering up to someone. You know, healthy connection is one thing, but, you know, being in the ethers and the only way you feel like you, you belong to the universe is when you're with someone. That's, that's a big problem. So how did you overcome it now that we're talking about like, like managing that like um, trauma, like what was your steps to being happy on your own? I have found this wonderful therapist and it really changed my life. I think that's the main thing. What else did I do? I took up the outrigger canoeing. I made a decision to change finally. I just, the pain was too great. I learned to stop looking for external solutions to my problems. And I really looked at that terror, those fears I had about being alone. Like I really broke them down and really like, what am I afraid of? Um, I really worked on my trauma issue. I started loving my inner child, you know, doing my own self-parenting. You know, I often say to my clients, your adult self can start loving that inner child. You're no longer that inner child that was abused or invisible. You can now in your adult self love that little child. So what does that look like? It's literally, you could start by taking a picture of yourself as a child and putting it in your phone or sticking it by your bed and just like loving that little girl that maybe didn't get what she needed. And Mm. now, you know, um, addressing it as an adult self. That's really literally what it is. You know, knowing that you're safe now and Mm -hmm. nothing's going to happen to you and you can take care of yourself and you're going to make decisions that are conscious and not unconscious. And you're going to love yourself and you're going to forgive yourself for the things that you've done. I had to do a lot of forgiveness work and just learn to kind of let go. I think also just being able to identify that there is something that's relationship addiction. Like before this call, I didn't really even think about it that way. Like I thought about like sex addiction, but I didn't think about like relationship addiction. I don't know, UA, if you've ever heard that uh, term. Yeah, a lot or of people don't about know it. about it. I've only heard people say they're self-proclaimed serial monogamous, and 
But that's almost in a satirical way that it's like, oh, I'm a serial monogamous. I just have I go from relationship to relationship. But if that behavior is what's hindering you from finding real love or that's hurting you in some way, that's when it becomes kind of a dangerous addiction yeah. in my eyes. I, I think you're right. I think that's the more modern way of saying relationship addiction. You know, everybody's afraid of the word addiction. People yeah. hate that. I was going to yeah. say, there's something about serial monogamous that sounds like upbeat and like, you've yeah, got it like- sounds whimsical. Yeah. Right, yeah. it doesn't. But I think like what you've said, this episode that we've been talking about, it's when it gets to your self-worth. That's when mm-hmm. there, and you don't know who you are anymore if you don't have a relationship. And a relationship is a crutch. I think those are like very different than wanting- it's like needing a needing a relationship versus wanting a relationship. Let let me tell you, I take this really seriously. I I got very sick from being obsessed with my ex. I mean, I got shingles, I got a staph infection, I started losing hair, I got kidney stones. I mean, people people really get sick when they are just mm. it, it can be fatal. Like really, seriously, fatal attraction is real. And I take it very seriously. I also take it seriously. I don't know if any of you have seen the the uh, new Showtime. It's called Love Fraud. And it's this guy. Ooh. He's a con man. It's kind of like the Dear John. There was another... A show called Dear John. I suggest everybody watch it, Google it. But the one that's going on right now is called Love Fraud. And what this is about is that love addicts tend to be, you know, attract predators. You attract the con man. You attract, and it could be, or for men out there listening, you attract the con woman. Or for uh, gay relationships, you attract the woman or the whatever. You're going to attract what you know. And and if you're really not feeling good about yourself and you're really vulnerable and you're really lost and you're in the ethers of the unknown and you're fear-based, you are going to be set up for a con man. I'm not going to go too much into it, but my mother, after my dad died, she had a beautiful 60-year marriage. My dad died. She was grieving, yes, but because she had never done her work, my dad pretty much rescued her, so to speak. He died and she was lost and she met a con man. And long story short, I had to go to court for almost two years dealing with this horrible person that came into our family. And it's real. And that's part of the reason why I'm really going out I'm going loud about this. He was a narcissist. She was being abused. This was elder abuse, but you can be any age and have somebody come into your life and just completely take all your money and take advantage of you because you're so vulnerable. That's like the dark side. Let's focus on, on this for a sec, because I think you bring up a really good point is that when you have this addiction, you you seem to attract a certain type of person who in your eyes may be really good while you're in a relationship with them, because again, you have your blinders on. So let's take a step back from this the con artist, maybe not so much to the con artist level, but what are some other characteristics Mm -hmm. of this person that that an addict could attract? Yeah, well, you're talking about the love avoidant. You're going to pick someone that's probably unavailable, Mm. but probably starts out really charming, really addictive, really wants to be with you. And so you, the love addict, love that attention. You love that high, that feeling, oh, he wants me, Mm -hmm. he wants me. So they're going to come off really strong and you're going to think, oh my God, this is the one. Mm. And then, you know, they're going to um, slowly but surely back off because all of a sudden now they've sort of conquered you. And, you know, narcissists, 
I mean, what can I say? They have no empathy. They're always right. They don't look at your point of view. They don't care what you have to say. They usually have to fill their narcissistic supply. So what can you do for them? In my mother's Mm -hmm. case, it was like, you can support me and take care of me because I'm a loser Mm -hmm. guy and I don't have anything. So it's, they want to fill that narcissist supply where maybe they need a lot of attention. Maybe they need, it's usually they pick people that are going to make them look good. Mm -hmm. So a lot of addicts are narcissists. I think a lot of addicts have narcissistic traits. I think for my addict, alcoholic ex-husband, I think he was had the traits. I don't think he was full-blown, but he loved that I was an author and I'd been mm-hmm. on TV and he'd go around telling everybody. And it was all about like, don't you see me? Like, who cares about my books? Who cares about all of this stuff? What about me? And that's a really sure sign you're with someone that might have the traits. And I, I don't like to overuse the word, but there are narcissists out there. There's love avoiders. And, you know, they're the ones too that can be going from relationship to relationship. They can be a, a they can be an avoider and a love addict. There's a, off, right. often that dance that, that goes on, you know? I feel like that avoider, the love avoider, that chapter definitely resonated with me because I think that I've definitely had some of those in my past. And I think sometimes it's not coming from a narcissistic sense. It's more coming from, they're not physically able to be in a relationship like maybe they don't have their career in order enough like they can't support someone or like something isn't there for them but they still want it to some degree but then when it becomes real they start to like run away from it well then i'd have to ask the person who meets the voider that wants them why would you want someone that doesn't have a complete life like why would you want to be with someone who has a shitty job or i mean because i've been there done that yeah. and it's it's not fun i'm not saying you know they're losers i'm just saying get your life together dude and then give me a call like your- i'm not trying to be cold but you know, I don't usually think it's because of the job or, or that. I, I think a lot often it's an intimacy issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's their own trauma that yep. they just, they get scared to death of connection. Like as soon as they start to have feelings, as soon as it gets too, you know, too close or like, ah, and then they run. They're kind, basically love avoiders and love addicts come from the same, mm. the same coin, just two different sides. Right. They both usually have abandonment issues. They're just, they manifest it differently. The love avoider runs away. The love addict runs forward. I think Mm -hmm. to answer your question of why, and I think this goes to what you were saying earlier about the fantasy is like, you think you can change them or like you, you fall in love with the potential. I think that's a big piece of it. Give that up, everybody. (laughs) Do not change anyone. You can't fix anybody. You can't. And, you know, you start doing that, you become very codependent and you'll always be unhappy and resentful because, you know, expectations are there's a saying, I'm probably not saying it right, but expectations are like resentments on their way. So true. I, I can name uh, I can name one. No, I think I can name two of my friends who are relationship addicts. And th- this is what they would always say to me. If he could see that I'm so good for him, then he's going to have the best life ever. If, oh. he could, if he could listen to me because I'm giving him the best advice, then he would be very successful at his job. And I'm like, no, 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 he does not need you to be successful. But you, for some reason, they've created this need for themselves in that, in that. Yeah. Well, there's two things going on. I mean, I have a whole chapter in Love Smacked about that, which is called Settling for Less. That's what they're doing. They're settling for less and they think they can control and manipulate somebody. You know, often people that do that don't want to look at themselves. It's like, Mm -hmm. if I'm busy trying to change you and Mm -hmm. I look at your stuff and then I don't have to like, that's a great distraction. 
codependency, love addiction, a great distraction from yourself. I mean, <laughs> but, but I think this is why people don't see this as a serious issue, because it seems like the media really plays it up, too. It's like, you know, they celebrate the person who is a relationship addict. Yeah. Or society oh, yeah. tells you you need to be in a relationship. So you feel like you need to be on to the next one, one end. So, well, one day I've got to make a list of like songs that <laughs> you I, right? I don't know why I haven't done that, but. Any love song, they're all codependent love addict songs. Oh, absolutely. I I really need to work on that. Maybe I'll Google love addiction songs. But, you know, or you think of that old movie, Fatal Attraction with Michael Douglas and Glenn Close. That was total addiction. And then, you know, I think you're right about the media. I think, I mean, I was looking at my granddaughter's Frozen. Now, I don't know if there's a prince involved, but they're all princesses. Everything's princess. And then she has the Barbie you know, dream house and yeah. everything is fantasy. And I mean, I love fantasy, but not to the extent that it, you know, takes over of what you think that's what life is about. Like Prince Charming is going to sweep me off my feet. Yeah. I can't wait for the day when Disney comes out with a movie where people have to pay rent. Like I'm just waiting for the princess <laughs> to try to that's make funny. money to I pay love rent. That. Well, at least the Barbies are coming in different sizes and colors. Yeah. And yes. So I'm, I'm Some really happy. Some progression is made. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I also like to see more, um, not just heterosexual stuff. I think, you know, kids can start ex- understanding who they are at a younger age. And, you know, all of it's important because otherwise you're kind of trying, like you said, Julie, you're trying to meet a cultural norm. Mm-hmm. Like this is the way it's supposed to look. So what is that line then? Because, you know, no one's going to deny that connection and relationships are a big piece of human life, right? And it, like finding love is one of the greatest things, but we also don't want to be so reliant on love and relationships that you lose yourself completely. Like what is the line of having a healthy relationship versus being a relationship addict? So I think relationship addiction you know, I think healthy relationships have ups and downs. I mean, it, they just do. I think, though, if you keep going from one relationship to another or, or you have, let's say you look at five relationships and only and one of them was an unhappy one, you're, you're not likely a relationship or marriage addict. But if all five relationships weren't so great and you were going from one to the next, then you might want to look at that seriously. I mean, if you're unhappy in every relationship and you feel even worse on your own, you're you're definitely a relationship addict. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm just curious because I love celebrity gossip and Julie won't care because she doesn't care about celebrities. But Sherry, you've worked with plenty of celebrities on their addictions. And I always want to think like celebrities, they're just like us. But are there actual differences between their addictions and us pedestrians? The only difference I would say, no, they're no different. Um, and I worked with a lot of love addicts. Um, I worked with Rachel Yucatel. I worked with Amber Smith. She was like the first supermodel. I worked with Janice Dickinson. She was a supermodel. Mm-hmm. They are no different. The only difference when it comes to addiction, like drugs, in my opinion, there's a lot of yes people. So they bring them their drugs, they bring them their alcohol, mm. they'll do whatever. So they'll keep their job. So I don't see that really being a problem in love addiction unless, you know, they just keep, well, that's not true. Look at, um, I'm thinking of who's the famous golfer. Tiger Woods. Yeah, Tiger Woods had all those relationships. So I would Mm -hmm. call him a sex addict. And I think his yes people brought women to him. 
most yeah. likely. I, I think I heard that. So, or look at Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. You know, people hid women for him. Yeah. So that's more maybe sex addiction, I think. But even like for us, I guess, quote unquote, normal people, <laughs> our relationship addiction stems from this idea of not abundance. <laughs> they think, think, I think we, we think, oh, what, you know, when I'm, when I'm single, am I going to find this yeah. next person? Like there's just not enough. It's too, it, it, the numbers aren't in my favor. But I think for celebrities, they're always in this area of abundance. Plenty of people would want to get into relationships with them. So it's interesting that they always also have an addiction. But the trauma well, is probably I think, there. I think, <laughs> I think you have a, a fantasy of what, how you think they live because they all get up and go to the bathroom the same, day, same way we do, <laughs> honest, honestly. And they, they are no different. And in fact, they have more to worry about because they have more money, more goodies, mm -hmm. more fame. And they're gonna they have to really think about who they're attracting. Gosh, who was it? Martha Stewart. I remember she was on TV talking about joining Match.com. Mm -hmm. and, and I think she was serious. So here's a woman who's a zillionaire and she's on there too looking for love. So I don't think it's that easy just because you're a celebrity. I think that's a fantasy. Mm. Julie's like rolling her eyes. She's like, I don't care. No, <laughs> I no, don't care I about these celebrities. <laughs> I actually thought it was an interesting question because I mean, at the question. end of the day, the end of the day, if you have unresolved trauma, it doesn't matter if you're yeah. a celebrity. It doesn't matter exactly. if you're a millionaire. Exactly. Like you still have the same shit to work through. Unfortunately, you can't pay for that just to magically like poof and go away. <laughs> I hope I didn't make you feel bad by saying, oh, they're, you know, I'm not trying. I mean, I think it's fine. You know, you're, you love celebrities. I think it's part of the youth the culture. I don't know how old you are, but I think it's part of the celebrity narcissism. Like, I want to be famous. And, and so we think famous people just have it so good and so wonderful. I mean, my daughter is a very, very, very big publicist in Hollywood. I'm not going to mention her client list, but she's got very famous people. And they're, you know, they get sick. They get. Oh, yeah. You know, I think we're just enamored with, again, it's the outside stuff. And then I think reality TV kind of, you know, influenced that a little bit. Like, oh, I can be on TV. Or, oh, how about it be, I'll become like an influencer. Watch me on. <laughs> <laughs> influencer. So we're just addicted to all of that stuff because yep. it's an outside thing. And it really comes from within. I mean, I did celebrity rehab and I was like a little celebrity for about a minute. And I did a lot of TV interviews. I was going to CNN and BioChannel and e-news. These are in the days when everything wasn't politics. And then it ended. You know, I wasn't doing mm -hmm. so much of that, you know? And then it's like, who am I now? Oh my God. Nobody likes me. Nobody's calling mm. me for interviews. And it had nothing to do with me, you know? Right. So we got to be really careful. Well, you're on Dateable now. So there you go. <laughs> I am. You know what? You guys are, and you're listed on a very high ranking or something. Uh, I don't know who you are. So I'm very, very impressed that you have this, 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 obviously you're really good at what you do and you, you know your stuff and hope, you know, hopefully mostly healthy so that you can, you know, talk about healthy issues in a healthy way. You yeah. Know? I, that's, um, our, that's our goal with this podcast. And I think this is a great way to talk about takeaways. You know, that's like our trademark is on Dateable. We want to take away from all this great information that you just gave us. So I can kick that off. I think the number one takeaway is 
addiction is unhealthy, no matter what you're addicted mm-hmm. to. I think I could say I'm addicted to happiness. And that's also an unhealthy addiction. And being addicted to relationships has so many dangers to your own self-worth and your identity. But I think first and foremost, it's just unresolved upbringing, uh, trauma, and issues Mm. from the past that we tend to cover up with relationships. And so I, I think, again, my biggest takeaway is one, acknowledging that you have an addiction. And two, sitting with that pain. Uh, I, I have a few friends who are addicted to quite a diverse range of things. Yeah. But they always say that there's that pain that they want to go away. And it's, yeah. they don't sit with it. They want it to go away. Right. And I think right. it's really important to, to sit with it. And I think the other takeaway I have is a lot of times we think about relationships as this cardboard paper cutout. So it could anybody could right. sit in there and fulfill this role of a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner. But we don't when we actually enter into relationships, we are having them conform into what our idea of that partner should be. Oh, absolutely. And I'm guilty of doing that too, because we fantasize, mm-hmm. you know, in my, during my single days, I fantasize about what my future boyfriend will be like, Yeah. but nobody's going to be that cardboard exactly. paper cut out. I mean, exactly. it's just, nobody's going to be that exact person. So nobody is perfect, but you just want to be clear, you know, your body, that's why when you do the work, the trauma work, your body will tell you when something's not right. You know, when I, when I broke up, with this this last person, I started getting anxiety because I knew mm-hmm. something wasn't right. And and you just got to listen. What you know, what your brain forgets, your body doesn't. Your body and that knows. is exactly what my third takeaway is: is <laughs> feeling your body. I think sometimes we forget that. I don't know if you have a migraine for days. It's not just you yeah. being dehydrated. It could come from other trauma. And you know, yoga teachers always say you hold a lot of emotional stress in your hips. So if your hips are tight, there's something going on in your body. So we need to listen to our bodies in addition to our heart and mind. Right. Some of my takeaways, definitely just becoming aware that this is another form of an addiction. Like I think, like I mentioned before, when I read this book, little things did pop up for me. While I might not be like a full-blown relationship addict, while there's nothing wrong with that, maybe there's areas that I can take now and look at Mm -hmm. like how this is showing up and am I putting too much of a fantasy onto someone or Mm -hmm. am I getting ahead of myself in different areas? And I think like, like the ultimate piece too is like not being not being afraid to be alone. Like I think we yeah. have to drown out society. Like we have to like take a step back and just make sure that we're at the end of the day, like we're happy, whatever that means. Like mm-hmm. I think so much of us believe that a relationship will make us suddenly happy. And that's why we're relationship addicts. We're trying to fill a void. We're trying to jump to the next. And I know personally, like all the times where I've attracted like actual healthy, happy partnerships was when I was in a good place myself. Of course. Mm-hmm. And I think if you are feeling like, oh, like you said, Sherry, like there's a pattern here, like all the partners I'm I'm dealing with, like I'm miserable in these relationships, yet I still want to stay because being in a relationship is better than not being in a relationship. I think it's time to take that pause and feel like it's okay to be alone for a little. Like mm-hmm. you're, I think a lot of people are afraid to stop dating and being in relationships because there's like a time crunch that's happening in this. Yeah. Like we can't, we got to keep moving. We can't stop. But 
oftentimes like taking that pause actually is moving you way ahead because you're not just on a hamster wheel doing the same thing over and over again. Exactly. Perfect takeaways. I couldn't <laughs> say it any better than the two of you. Maybe you both should become therapists. <laughs> You, you really, are, you're very intuitive. I mean, really. Thanks very for that intuitive. endorsement. <laughs> yeah. I just, there's just a lot of intuition here, you know, and a lot of stuff that's, that seems very healthy. And I think you also both learned a lot too. Oh, absolutely. Along with your audience. Absolutely. Thank you, Sherry. And one last question for you, since you are on the Dateable podcast, what does being dateable mean to you? Being in a healthy place and ready to allow healthy love in your life. Boom. Love and that. then for ever, for anyone that wants to read your book and also join the community that you mentioned, can you give us a little, you know, sure. where to find it, how to get involved, all the details? Yeah. Um, so the book is Love Smacked, How to Stop the Cycle of Relationship Addiction and Codependency to Find Everlasting Love. And that's on Amazon. And it comes out September 22nd. And um, the community, I think you're going to put in your show notes, yep. the link, mm -hmm. but it's Wake Up Recovery for Codependence, and it's a constantly growing, breathing membership. So there's going to be a lot more in there about love addiction. There's a lot in there right now about codependency. There's a lot about the law of attraction, you know, because part of attracting is using the law of attraction, you know, what you put out there into the universe. And if you are feeling healthy and you feel good about yourself, you can have a better chance of attracting that back in. So it's kind of a, a little bit of everything and it's just a great group of people. So thank you for sharing that link with your audience. Of course. Perfect. Oh, and it's a dollar to try it out for a week. Got nothing to lose. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. Sherry Gaba, everyone, thank you so much for being on our show and we will continue to work on, on ourselves as we as we navigate this crazy world of modern dating. <laughs> if you loved Sherry like as much as we did, please leave us a review in Apple Podcasts because that helps us to get wonderful guests like Sherry, a simple five stars or say something nice. <laughs> we love it all. And if you'd like to be a guest on our show, we are still looking for guests for the season. Just go to our website, datablepodcast.com. And we're always looking for interesting stories, tidbits, and experts. We're just people who want to share. <laughs> All right. We're going to wrap this up. Stay, Stay dateable. The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag StayDateable and trust us, we look at all of those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.